Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz. And you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website. That's sumatisparks.com. S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks, as in Sparks are flying. And when you request the quiz, you'll be automatically added to my mailing list. And that will make you the first to learn about my virtual events and to receive occasional helpful tidbits of advice and information on how to add more love, passion, and joy into your life. So today, I'm really excited to have as my guest, Anaya Sundara. Anaya is a somatic mentor focusing on nervous system regulation, embodied relating, and inner child healing. She has a gift in creating attuned and coherent fields that allow people to bring their most authentic selves forward. Her deepest passion is to support people in understanding their nervous systems so they can have more ease and loving connections in their lives. Welcome to the show, Anaya. Thanks, Simati. I'm really grateful to be here. So glad to have you. Um, so, yes, I work a lot with um, the nervous system in my coaching, and so I was really fascinated that you kind of made that your specialty. So um, I'd love to hear, like, your evolution about how you got there to being, like, a somatic mentor. Mm, I would love to share, and just before we begin to orient to this space and this container, I would love to just drop into the body, and you're welcome to join me, and anyone listening is also welcome. Oh, I love that. Just just taking a moment to maybe place a hand on your heart or your belly or anywhere on your body that feels good. And just notice what's happening in this moment. Noticing any sensations or vibrations or pulsing or tingling that's happening inside of your body. (sighs) Noticing your breath. And for me, I'm just going to name a couple of sensations. I'm noticing my heart is is um, beating quite fast and noticing some aliveness in my belly and some pulsing in my spine. <sighs> mm. And I'm feeling really excited and nervous and grateful to be here. So, yeah, a little bit about my personal story. Um, Thank you for that, by the way. That was really lovely. You're so welcome. It really helps me feel present and regulate it to show up fully. So it's really Mm -hmm. important for me. And usually other people tend to feel Mm -hmm. uh, able to be more present as well. Right. So... With my personal story, you asked about the evolution of my journey with the nervous system work and somatic mentoring, and 
Yeah, it's been a journey. Um, I would say my life experience has really, really been just the main catalyst for everything that I do. And my my history has not been easy. In fact, it's been really, really, really hard and really, really difficult. Um, growing up in an environment where my parents did not know that I was a highly sensitive person and... Um, just there was a lot of misattunement and like chronic misattunement and of course our parents do the best that they can and it really impacted me in a big way and to the point where I um, have disorganized attachment and now I consider myself a secure disorganized but it's still if you know anything about attachment one of the Mm -hmm. most they say it's the most challenging one and I can attest to Mm. that it's really hard so growing up in, in an environment that was very difficult, having disorganized attachment, having severe depression, complex PTSD, um, like a lot of nervous system dysregulation and just a lot of anxiety and a lot of just challenges in my own life, hard time having connections and friendships and all of these things that were so confusing to me and I, I wanted so deeply and I would just say like my own journey, my own life has been such a motivator and I've felt so committed and resilient to, to, to like being able to have what I know is possible and like being able to clear the lens of perception that was blocking my essence, that was blocking everything I knew I had inside of me um, like really just being so motivated to bring that forward, to figure it out. And so my own life journey and the deep, deep pain and challenge and grief, I've experienced a lot of grief and just, yeah, like being a deep emotional feeler and very empathic and very sensitive and very psychic and all of these things that I didn't know how to harness and know how to really Mm -hmm. align, um, it's been, yeah, it's been a big motivator. And so mm-hmm. my, I, yeah, I've just, I've done so many different things. And the main thing I would say has been the biggest support in my life has been working consistently with a somatic and attachment expert. Uh, we were doing weekly for a year and now we switch to every other week and, and it's really changed my life and inspired mm-hmm. me to, to, to share everything that has been inside of me and is now so overflowing and ready to, to finally offer to the world. So, mm. yeah. Beautiful. Well, yeah, it's quite a list of things that you've had to overcome <laughs> being highly sensitive and having depression, anxiety, and CP, CPTSD. Um, and then you, you came out with feeling like you had disorganized attachment. Um, so maybe you can talk mm-hmm. a little bit for those that don't know what that means, like just a very brief tutorial on the attachment styles. Yes, definitely. So our attachment styles form from preconception to our time in the womb and our birth being a big part of that, as well as until we're about two to three years old. That is the foundational time that our attachment system forms. And so Mm -hmm. these attachments, you know, if we are raised with um, our safety and attunement and our needs being met consistently um, and we feel a sense of, you know, 
safety and connection in the world, we have a secure attachment. And so that's the ideal. Mm -hmm. That's what we want. That means the parents are attuned. When you cry, they know why you're crying. They're there. They're able to listen. There's presence. There's emotional availability. There's love. Your needs are Mm -hmm. met. And that doesn't mean everything is perfect. You can still have ruptures. But what's really important is that there's repair quickly. And so that's secure. And then there's three types of insecure attachment, and those are anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, and disorganized. And so anxious is where you had a caregiver that was sometimes there and sometimes not there. So they were really inconsistent, which creates Mm -hmm. the nervous system to be on edge and not sure, like, am I going to get my needs met? Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, but I don't know. And it Mm -hmm. creates this almost hyper, like, vigilance of, like, I don't know what's happening. Am I going to, you know, have everything I need? And so that creates this anxiousness. And then the avoidant attachment is where you had a caregiver who was one or the other, either like emotionally unavailable and not present and not there or too smothering. And so there's these strategies that our, our minds and our bodies and our nervous systems create, which then creates the avoidant attachment. And then disorganized is from what I know and from my own life experience, a mixture of both anxious and avoidant. But the difference Mm -hmm. is, is that disorganized grew up with a caregiver who was also seen as a danger or a threat. So someone that Mm. was either verbally abusive, physically abusive, alcoholic, you know, sexual abuse, like something that where the caregiver, who is your source of protection and safety and love was also the source of danger and threat. And so love and danger get intertwined together, and that creates a very complex attachment system, and there's so many nuances to it. I could not possibly get into it now, but that's the main Right, no, right, I appreciate that general. (laughs) It's a really good general overview. Um, And so you called yourself um, disorganized secure, so that means you're, like you've worked hard on yourself and you are mostly secure, but there's still that flavor of disorganized still because we never fully get over it. Is that, am I saying that right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so there's a term that's called earned security. So going from uh-huh. insecure to secure. And I would say I am considered a secure disorganized. And yes, there are still so many places that, um, the disorganized comes up. The difference is now that I know my patterns so well. I know exactly what will happen. I can communicate to someone what will happen. I can communicate, oh, if X, Y, Z happens in this context, this is what I need. If you, you know, if we, we plan ahead to like set ourselves up for success with people I've dated, mm-hmm. it's like there's mm-hmm. a difference in the way of relating that um, it's not unconscious and it's not like it doesn't take over there's a lot of awareness within the, within the patterns that can still arise. So Got it. I wouldn't say it for me, it's fully gone. There's no way. Like I still feel terror and overwhelm when I lean into intimacy and I consistently have to pause and slow down and talk to my little one and really let her know, like I, you're safe and I'm the adult and I have us and I will listen and like all the time. And that even goes into, mm-hmm. you know, not just sexual intimacy, but also just in contexts of closeness with friends or dance or et cetera. So I'm, 
I'm always working with that and connecting with my, my little girl and it's a constant, consistent so, practice for sure. Yeah, so it sounds like the inner child healing is a really big part of of healing from a, a um, what did you call that? What was the overall term for the the unhealthy styles of insecurity? No, no, the, you said there's mm-hmm. there's secure, and then you said there's three types of insecure. Got it. So to heal yeah. from like an insecure attachment style, um, what part does the, is the inner child healing a big part of it? Is it one of many parts? I think it is absolutely crucial. Like, I don't know how you could possibly heal from attachment without doing inner child and reparenting work. I think it's vital. Mm-hmm. I think it's necessary and like consistently needs to be done <laughs> in my mm-hmm. experience. Can you, um, can you give us an example of like, uh, like just an example of maybe how you've done a little bit of inner child work as just a, you know, a little role modeling for us to, so what, how you do that and how that works? Yeah, so reparenting work is it's really being the mother or the father for your wounded little one. And so we have, you know, two different types of inner child. We have the joyful, like, innocent, radiant inner child that is alive and inside of everyone. And then we have our wounded inner child that had the attachment, you know, ruptures, the imprints from birth, the trauma that didn't have the safety and security it needed when it was little. And so what happens is, is that these um, memories, they're called implicit somatic memories. And so when we have trauma or ruptures um, when we're younger and we don't have a safe space for them to complete themselves, they become stuck in our bodies. And so um, mm-hmm. Diane Poole Heller, who's an, an attachment expert, calls this encapsulation encapsulated child states so these Mm -hmm. these this is energy that gets stuck and frozen in our body and so the body is Mm -hmm. such a doorway in and that's why embodiment work is so important with doing Mm -hmm. attachment work and nervous system work and Mm -hmm. what we with inner child healing a core piece of it is really really learning how to slow way 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 down think about it like an adult that's busy day to day like mostly in their head our culture is very you know busy doing a lot um as an infant or a a toddler the nervous system is a lot slower that pace is a lot slower The, the 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 tempo in the womb is so different and so when we are doing inner child work, we really need to slow down to that tempo to connect with them. And so when we slow down, it allows the space to be created where we really, really get to see and feel and be with the fear or be with whatever the pattern or wound or imprint is arising. And so I would say the key piece is is to really, really learn the art of slowing down. And this is where nervous system work comes hand in hand with inner child healing. And and then also dialoguing, communicating with your inner child, like, is so huge. And what's also important to differentiate here is, like, if you start doing inner, inner child healing, you may not know how to talk to your inner child. And you're very likely going to try to talk to your inner child the way that your parents spoke to you 
which probably isn't going to do much good. And I've heard this from a lot of people that do inner child work and from my own experience as well. Um, I did inner child healing for three years until I really started to actually be able to connect in a way that was attuned, that was compassionate, Mm -hmm. and that was loving. And so we really need a secure mirror, whether that's through a coach, a mentor, a therapist, um, to show us what security is like and how to connect and talk to our inner child. And so, mm-hmm. you know, really when there's a, when there's a, a trigger, um, being able to pause, like slow down, take some deep breaths, Feel the sensations in your body, feel the emotions in your body, notice what thoughts you're thinking, and differentiate the past from real time. And this is where there's somatic Mm -hmm. tools to do this, like orienting is an incredible tool to be able to differentiate the past from current time. And the thing is, is that our brains cannot perceive what their threat is real or imagined. So when we're triggered, we're usually having a memory, a past memory that from our childhood that is seen as a threat, but in the real moment of like current time, present time, that's not actually happening. So we have to be able to differentiate, slow down enough to differentiate what's happening. And a good Mm -hmm. piece of information to know if it's a trigger from the past or real time is if your reaction is way bigger to what's happening, then it's most likely a trigger from the past. Right. Yeah. I mean, isn't, aren't all of our um, triggers even like a smaller one? (laughs) Because if we didn't have some kind of a wound from our past, we probably wouldn't even, we just laugh at it or wouldn't even notice it. Yes. And I do think there are, like, real-time experiences that may not be connected to an imprint or trauma from the past. I think there's adult traumas that can happen that are different. But mostly, I feel yes, (laughs) that they're mostly from the past. Yeah, no, that's true. If you get in a car accident or somebody robs your house, of course, there's going to be, like, a normal amount of anger, feeling violated, et cetera. Yeah. Right. Okay. But I would, well, cool. I would well, agree I work... that majority, majority of them are from the past. So I agree with you there. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, well, this is beautiful. Yeah, I do some inner child healing work with my clients. I work a lot with clients that are newly opening their relationship after having an existing relationship that was monogamous. And so there's a lot mm-hmm. of... Um, Fear, and I often tell them, you know, that we have to go at the pace of the slowest person's nervous system and, you know, not mm-hmm. push them past where their nervous system can, you know, manage that. So can you speak to that, to the nervous system a little bit for those people that don't really understand? Why are you talking about a nervous system? What does that have to do with anything? Yes. <laughs> so I say something really similar is to go at the pace of your most fragile self. And that piece of wisdom was offered to me a few years ago, and it changed my entire life. It gave me permission to really honor the most tender and vulnerable parts and not continue to dismiss them. So I really, mm-hmm. yeah, resonate with, with what you just shared. And nervous mm-hmm. system work. So it is so important to be able to understand 
the layers within ourselves to be able to know what's happening inside of our somatic body because if we don't have awareness of what's happening inside, then we're going to just be unconscious and play out these wounds or these patterns or get in ruptures over and over and over again. And so having awareness is key and understanding our nervous system and our somatic body is literally everything. And so Mm -hmm. this is connected to um, just understanding trauma. And so um, there's four different types of trauma responses. There's fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And so we need to learn how our nervous system responds. And there usually is a main one that you tend to go into. And so um, there's another way to explain it is there's hypoarousal, which is like a freeze and a shutdown. And then there's hyperarousal, which is um, like fight or flight. And so these can activate different parts of the nervous system, which is either parasympathetic or sympathetic. And so it's important to start to learn this and start to track, oh, when I'm triggered, what happens? How do I respond? How do I react? Do I shut down? Do I not speak? Do I want to run away? Do I want to fight? Do I want to get big? Do I want to get loud? And just notice, like, all of this is information. And it's really Mm -hmm. important information for us to start to understand how our nervous system is wired. And so Mm -hmm. um, another really important piece is just that we have to learn what our window of tolerance is. And so our window of tolerance can grow, um, but we need to learn the edges. And so Mm -hmm. if we stay inside our window of tolerance or like some people call it range of resiliency, is where you feel safe, where you feel connected. There's attunement, there's love, um, you feel good, your digestion is, like, good. And then the edges are important to go into because you want to grow. So we need to go into those edges, but we need to go into them in a really slow, attuned, and titrated way. And most of us have not been taught how to do that, and that really takes having accurate reflection in a mirror to, to guide us like okay you know I'm noticing I'm tracking you I'm watching you you're going past your window of tolerance that's pretty much the main way we can start to learn it is by someone guiding us there but so once we start to go into our edges and learn where our capacity is and our threshold is we can catch our triggers way quicker we can catch when we're starting to go into a shutdown or a freeze or Uh, a breakdown way, way, way quicker because we're attuned Mm -hmm. to what's happening inside of our body. And so, yeah, basically the window of tolerance is is a really important piece to know how we say, how we feel. This may seem like a a dumb question, but just for people Mm -hmm. that are learning this for the first time, why do you want to stay in your window of tolerance? What is the purpose so of that? If you go outside of your window of tolerance, that's where you're in your trauma responses of either fight, flight, mm-hmm. freeze, or fawn, and your nervous system goes into an either activated space, a dysregulated space, and it really can create this ease, this harmony, this connection. It can create um, depression, anxiety, mental health issues, like illness, mm-hmm. all of these things. And so... Mm-hmm. 
staying in the window of tolerance, we feel grounded, we feel secure, we feel clear, we feel connected to ourselves and others, we feel safe, we feel alert, but not in a hypervigilant and anxious way. It's the optimal mm-hmm. zone where we feel really regulated, where we feel that we can manage life, we have the ability to regulate our emotional state, we feel calm, we feel present, we feel grounded, and we feel embodied. And so... So I, I, I can see that, like, if a couple is having a conversation and someone is outside their window of tolerance, they wouldn't be able to hold the space and listen to their partner and help them feel understood because they would be activated in their own stuff. So it makes it hard for partners to um, talk about anything or, you know, really create deep intimacy, right? Completely, yes. So I've always say as soon as the first person is aware that someone is triggered that whoever it is that notices that has the awareness first like it is their responsibility to pause everything Mm -hmm. like to literally ask for a pause and to slow Mm -hmm. down and to take at least five deep breaths together and then Mm -hmm. from there evaluate do we have the capacity to have this conversation right now um, should mm-hmm. we take, and, and this is where there's the secure piece is coming in because you don't just run away. Like a lot of people get in arguments and then they like run away or they shut down or they beg to quickly forgive and all of that is coming from an insecure attachment. A secure way of, of navigating repair and a way that I like to call embodied repair is in those moments after you pause, you're already bringing awareness to the body. You're bringing awareness into the moment. So that's already going to shift. And then you mm-hmm. get to uh, communicate together. It's like, do we have the capacity for this right now? Should mm-hmm. we take a break? Should we pause? Okay, if we need space, let's check back in at X amount of time. You know, there's, mm-hmm. the communication is present. So even if there is space that's needed, which is totally okay. Like space oftentimes can be really good when there's a big trigger, um, even a little trigger. It just it depends on the context. And the, the piece that I find to be just the main gem is to stay in connection even through the disconnect. Mm. I think that, that would be especially important for the anxious attached person, right, to know, like, when are we going to come back together? Right, definitely, because the anxious, you know, their main core wound is abandonment. So if, and then they're usually paired with with an avoidant, which amplifies that core wound. And so when there's a fight, they have have opposite (laughs) strategies. They literally have opposite coping strategies. And I want to name that these strategies are, 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 are are protective strategies from childhood that we needed Mm -hmm when we were younger and they are so wise and so brilliant, they literally kept us alive and safe in our family dynamic as children. And so it's really Mm -hmm. important to not shame these strategies and to just realize that all of us are wired different. Every nervous system is different. And so when we get into relationship together, that's why it's really important to go slow is to see, are we compatible when we get in conflicts and all of these things? But it's also like to understand that one, to not demonize one or the other um, because they're all just coping strategies and protective strategies that 
at one point were really, really, really wise. And now as adults, not so much. And so that's why we do this work, the nervous system work, the attachment work, the embodiment work, the inner child healing work, so we can actually have the connection, the ease, the deep intimacy and love that we really desire. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I do um, this communication process with my clients, and I, I teach them how to ask for a timeout if, if they're starting to get dysregulated, or even just use the timeout symbol, you know, with one hand on top of the other hand. Um, mm-hmm. but, but what I'm learning from you is rather than going away from each other and taking a timeout immediately, that if you get better and better at catching the dy- dysregulation, you might not have to leave each other's presence. You can just sit and take five breaths together mm-hmm. and see if you can pick back up where you left off. So as you get better at noticing early, you can regulate yourself with your partner right there. So that's really powerful. That's really helpful. Yes. And not even just that, but you can start to play with triggers, which is something I'm really passionate around is how to turn Ooh, triggers hold, hold that turn thought on. for a second. I'm just hold that thought for a second. I want to go into that next because that's the yummy topic. But I want to okay. um, just for those people who joined us late, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Suma T. Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatsparks.com. And we're speaking with Anaya Sundara, an embodied relating mentor, and she helps people with um, nervous system regulation and embodied relating, and we're talking about inner child healing. So, yes, I would love to hear about how you've learned to play with the triggers, and you you even talked about creating art with them. So please tell us all about that. (laughs) So this is something I'm super passionate about right now because – we can learn nonviolent communication and we can, you know, say, you know, when you did this, I felt this because and the story I'm creating is and the request I have is and we can actually get stuck and that can still be really heady and not really be exciting and can just feel mundane and repetitive and create disconnect. It's needed, but there's three stages of repair that I feel or like three different stages of relating that I feel um, each of us can go through. Like even when we're really masterful at repair, we're still going to go into the unconscious. So that's like the first stage where it's the wounding, it's the shame, it's the blaming, it's the projection. Um, And then there's the second stage, which is like more of a nonviolent communication where you say, you know, when you didn't text me fast for a day I felt hurt and scared and I felt abandoned and it's where we communicate and then there's the third stage which is the one I'm exploring and playing with more and more which is where we create art from our triggers and create turn on and play and so Mm -hmm. this is this is what would I say this makes it's so much more enlivening, so much more fun, so much more embodied. And I've had experiences where I'm like, okay, I could go into, you know, this road of like sharing when you did this, I did this. I was like, but that just, it starts to get old and boring. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and usually if the other is avoidant, um, 
they can still get defensive from the nonviolent communication. They feel like they did something wrong. Mm -hmm. They still can feel like they're blaming. And anxious types can tend to have this subtle blame in their tone and like degrading. And so Mm -hmm. they they play each other's wounds really well. Um, Mm -hmm. So sometimes, not always, and it depends on the context and so many different, you know, nuances, but sometimes you can just go straight to the body. And oftentimes that can be so much more um, fruitful to actually move through a trigger. And so when you're pausing and you take those five deep breaths, you're already starting to come into the body and getting out of the mind. And so that's like a first step. And then let's say, um, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, Like if I was really angry about something that my partner did that I'm just, I'm enraged. I'm really upset. Like, like, let's like, say let's in an say, open relationship, like he didn't come back. Your partner didn't come back at the time he said he was going to come back from his date. Okay. So let's use that as an example. So he gets home late. You're already like triggered, upset, disconnecting, like, you know, before he even gets there. So he gets there and mm-hmm. amplifies often And so in that moment, if you can pause, if you can slow down, feel your body, feel your sensations, feel your emotions, bring your energy back to yourself instead of like funneling the energy outward, like he did this, he didn't do that. He, you know, it's like bring Mm -hmm. it back. Ownership is such an important piece, like self-responsibility for our triggers, which means we have to know Mm -hmm. our inner child wounds in order to do that and have clarity on what's happening and why. And then from there, you could, instead of being like, you know, bitchy and angry and upset and blaming and making them feel bad and wrong because X, Y, Z, they didn't come home at the right time. Like, how can you turn that into art? How can you bring it into your body? And so you may, when they get there, just let them know, like, I'm feeling really angry right now. I'm having some of my wounds really touched. Are you available to witness me throw a tantrum for five minutes and (laughs) say the things I want to do to you and not actually do them, but just speak it and let this energy move? So you're asking consent. If they say yes, they're now you're working together. There's a togetherness Mm -hmm. instead of a, one person doing it on their own and the other feeling frustrated or et cetera. Mm-hmm. So there's a togetherness. It's like, I'm taking self-responsibility for my triggers. I know I need something right now. Um, are you willing to support? Are you willing to hold space? Are you willing to witness? They have full freedom to say yes or no, which is also really important. Just because we're in relationships does not mean that they're expected to do these things. And that's where we have to learn how to hold ourselves when others aren't available, that we can hold ourselves and regulate or have other layers of support. So, but for this situation, let's say, let's say you, for five minutes, you're like, you set a timer. Timers are really important, crucial for things like this, because we don't want to take up too much like space or go over and it not feel like an alignment. So I find timers just really help support the container. And for five minutes, you can just be like, you can really get in your body, like move your body around, like clench your fist, like 
pound your fists on your knees or like hit the floor and you can even ask him are you open for me like you know pounding on your chest or like kind of shaking you and so there's this consensual like yes I'm, I'm available for that and I'm not available for you to like touch my face or hit me hard but you can play in this way to move mm-hmm. the energy so you can mm-hmm. be like I'm so angry like you know I'm so angry I want to rip your head off I want to stomp on it like I'm so upset and if the partner is masterful at knowing how to hold space and he doesn't, he or she or they don't feel um, afraid of emotion and they can be emotionally present and available, then they can play with it. They can amplify it. They can say, oh, yeah, tell me more. And, like, literally just that can create so much, like, almost an immediate just, like, ah, like, it changes the energy. And then you can tell them more, like, yeah, you can be like, yeah, and when you don't, like, do what you say, I don't trust you, I'm angry, like, whatever it is, you can just throw your tantrum, and then they can be like, yeah, you don't trust me, tell me more, like, or, and they can be like, oh, give me your anger, like, like mm-hmm. give it to me, I, I can hold it, like, tell me. So there's this mm-hmm. co-creative way to play together through the body, and then you can also, you know, I imagine after the tantrum, then you can like push on each other's hands and put pressure. Um, one of my teachers, Ray Castellino, calls this co-creative dynamic opposition. It's an amazing somatic practice. I use it especially mm-hmm. when I'm angry. And you can push on each other's hands. You can growl. You can like move your bodies and let that energy really move and complete through the body. You can wrestle. Like you can just play. It turns into play. But you're not just missing or bypassing the trigger. You're just allowing it to have more room to be witnessed, to be seen, to be held, to be felt. And oftentimes it's, it really can be that simple and it can move through. And then what I have found is that the chemistry, the passion, the, the like connection after feels so incredible and there's so much safety that you end up having like a beautiful lovemaking and mm-hmm. it's just like when there's that safety and that co-creative way of moving through a trigger together, it really, really changes everything. But people have to have self-responsibility, know their triggers, know their nervous system, know what they need when they're triggered, know how to ask for it, be okay if the other is not available for that. And, um, gosh, there's one more thing, and now I can't remember that's really important. Well, there also, um, has to be a, there also has to be an understanding within the couple that yes. um, we're both going to really own our stuff and not blame each other. So the other person exactly. doesn't hear it as blaming because they believe that they're really not wanting to blame, and this is just their process to evolve through this issue. So there's a, a strong yes. belief that both are committed to not blaming. Yes. So stage one is the blame, the shame, the make wrong. Um, stage three is like, we don't do that. We're self-responsible for our triggers and we support one another to move through it when we're available and have the capacity to do that. And mm-hmm. both people Beautiful. have to have emotional regulation and be okay with the emotions just to, to have someone be like, I'm angry and then not get triggered from their own past wounding. So there's a lot that mm-hmm. goes into being able to actually play with, like, the art of embodied repair. 
Awesome. I forgot to mention that if you do have any questions for Anaya, you can call in to the radio show. And the call-in number is 657-383-1132. You won't interrupt us. You'll be put on hold, and we'll just take your call at the right time. Again, that number is 657-383-1132. So you're talking about this stage three of um, playing with our triggers. It reminded me of I was working with a couple recently, and um, the woman had another lover, and I was asking the husband what he needed did he want to ask her anything he, he wants her to see her other lover and he wants he's you know motivated to work through his jealousy issues and so I asked him is there anything you want to ask her short of not seeing him you know but is there anything you want to ask her that will help soften it for you and he said well can you make love with me or at least have some intimacy with me before you go on a date with him and so I said, why don't you, um, rather than kind of being this needy guy that's like, oh, please give me some loving before you go on your date, kind of like <laughs> take more control of it and say, get over here. I'm going to mm. see my woman before you go out. And she got all excited <laughs> when I said that. You know, she just loved the shifting I got tone of that. And so, much. Yeah. <laughs> so that gave him permission to kind of claim her a little bit before she goes and plays with someone else, you know. <laughs> Yeah, so that kind of reminded me of that. They're a very attuned couple. Yeah, not moving from the neediness, but more from the, like, you know, just, like, the passion, like, the desire and just the, yeah. It's a a very different Mm -hmm. frequency of relating. Mm -hmm. Cool. I love that. So um, one other question I had from earlier um, when you were talking about the um, attachment styles. So if you know, polyamorous person has multiple relationships, can they have different attachment styles show up with, with a different person? Like, can they be anxious with one person and secure with another or some variation of that? Definitely, yeah. Our attachment styles are flexible and ever-shifting and different people can bring up different parts of us and at different times in our life when we're having new you know, things where we feel safe that can come up. Like there's so many different complexities that go into attachment. And yes, we can definitely have different styles with different people. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So how does that work? Like if you, if your attachment style comes from your core wound, how come you would have a different one with a different person? So this is something I've been exploring recently is like more and more so I, people I speak with are like, I'm both anxious and avoidant or I'm, you know, like there's a mixture and usually underneath avoidance, there's anxiousness that hasn't been seen yet. Usually under anxiousness, Mm. there's avoidance that hasn't been seen yet. My journey, Mm -hmm. I always thought I was anxious for most of my life until I healed like really became a lot more secure with the anxious and then saw all of the avoidance. And so everyone has their own journey with it. Some people have the opposite of what I had. Um, But yeah, it's like, there's kind of just this umbrella of insecurity is more of how I see it. And depending on the way we polarize, like if someone that you're connecting with tends to be more avoidant, it can polarize you into your anxiousness. And then let's say, Mm -hmm. like, your primary partner is really secure, and so you're pretty secure with them, but then you date someone that's, like, 
more anxious and then you become avoidant. It's like we polarize. Like the, there's always this homeostasis and balance that's like trying to happen. And sometimes it can be like the shadow of polarity, which is the insecure attachment. And like that, I feel like that's just like how the universe is working. And like we come together with people and then different parts of us are able to be seen and experienced. And um, there's also a big piece with, safety like when we really feel safe with someone different parts can actually start to come up and be held so there's so many layers to it it's incredibly complex and there's yeah there's I don't even know all of like all of it to be able to fully give Mm -hmm. an accurate answer but that's what I know from my own journey Mm -hmm. so if there's a couple that's really motivated to heal these things and even if they are still in an insecure, you know, operating in an insecure attachment mode, if they have enough awareness and they've done some therapy and some personal growth work and they really want to try to heal this together, can a couple kind of do that for each other or does it have to be done with someone else and then, you know, bring the healthier attachment style back into the relationship? It is possible. Um, and it can be really difficult for two insecure, like really like two really insecure people to heal together. It's not mm-hmm. um, the easiest thing to do. And but mm-hmm. if both people are really, really willing and committed to do the work, which looks like learning how to track their nervous systems, understanding their trauma responses, understanding why they react the way they do, knowing their childhood wounds, like knowing how to feel those feelings, get into their body, communication, huge, huge, huge piece, like learning how to communicate. And there's so, so much more. But if if they're willing to do those things together and also have outside support, different layers of support, mentors, therapists, coaches, I think it is possible. But I would say Mm -hmm. it is difficult. And, um, yeah, and it also depends on, like, how insecure someone is. Someone may be, like, mostly secure and sometimes anxious or mostly secure mm-hmm. and sometimes avoidant, and they probably will have an easier time healing with their partner than someone that's, like, disorganized or someone that's, like, really, really anxious. So it's also just so depends on each person and each mm-hmm. relationship. And, yeah. hmm Cool. Thanks. Um, so can you explain a little bit what you mean by coherent fields? You said that you like to create attuned and coherent fields. Is that how you help people heal these things? I feel like those are two pieces of inner child healing and attachment that are really needed. And so when we're in the womb, our mother you know, ideally should have been prepared and and even before conception been preparing and attuning to you coming into the womb. And so attunement is like the mother, you know, being there, having awareness, having presence, talking to to you and creating a safe and coherent field. And so those with insecure attachment did not get that. Like that wasn't part of their uh mirroring as a child to receive and so a big piece to come into security is to see what it feels like to be in an attuned space 
and a, and a coherent field, which means like the nervous systems are regulated. People feel like they're in their window of tolerance. People feel safe to be their authentic selves. And in order to create that, you have to have trauma awareness, like nervous system understanding, know how to read a field, know how to create um, the the container to feel as safe as possible. No, no, nothing is ever 100% safe. It's just impossible for things to be 100% safe. But there's an art to definitely create an attuned space. And what I have found mm-hmm. in my courses and sessions that I do with people is like they get to taste what that feels like and they get to have the felt sense experience of that mm-hmm. possibly for the first time in their lives and mm. and the feedback that I get is usually I feel so safe I've never felt so safe in a group I've never felt mm. this like able to be myself and share vulnerably and feel you know not anxious and, and there's just like the safety piece is is a big part to become more secure. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's definitely one of my gifts. I think coming from disorganized attachment and learning to track everything in my environment, because I never knew if something was going to be safe or dangerous, it kind of gave me now the gift, the, the you know, the opposite of the, the wound and the trauma, is the gift of being able to really read energy, read spaces, tune into the subtlety um, of what's happening underneath the surface. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely Beautiful. an art that I feel grateful to have now. <laughs> yes, I'm really glad you're offering that. It's so needed. And so um, if there's somebody that wants to practice open relationship because either that's just their identity or it's they want to be in relationship with someone else that is, or they want to try it for their own personal growth or whatever reason, but they, they have like trauma in their background in their history and they might be getting trauma responses from jealousy or, you know, whatever happens when some their partner does something that triggers, you know, those, those old memories, you know, maybe PTSD or trauma or whatever. Like, how would you work with somebody who, like, they're really committed, they want to be non-monogamous, but they can't just talk about these things using NBC or whatever because they go into these trauma mm-hmm. places? How would you deal yeah. with that? Yeah, and, you know, I think this just goes for everyone because people can experience all of those things, whether they're monogamous or open or poly. And what I would say is, like, this is where the somatic like the somatic mentoring that I do, like this is the the piece that like having these sessions where someone gets to really start to learn their nervous system, slowing down in a way that they probably haven't done in their life and being doing it in a way where they're being tracked and held and witnessed and they get to learn their nervous system. They get to learn somatic tools. They get to learn self-regulation and co-regulation tools that they can bring in their relationships and I would say this is this is where the somatic piece is just everything because these memories these traumas this jealousy these um, wounds and imprints live in our body and these are the encapsulated child states that I spoke to and so in order to access them it takes 
so much to be able to start to pull back and peel back these layers to have our awareness touch into these places that are really, really scary and painful. And mm-hmm. it's just like, this, yeah, this is where the somatic and the attachment and the nervous system work comes in. So I personally, my own opinion is that I think everyone needs support. Um, and especially if you have an insecure attachment, I, I don't know how I would be where I am now without having the consistent support from someone who's an expert in somatic and attachment work. Um, Mm -hmm. it's just, I don't even understand like how people are doing it. And and I don't think people are doing it all that well because a lot of relationships are failing and ending and (laughs) being are really, really hard. And so, yes, um, correct. I feel the same way. I feel like everybody that wants to have an open relationship needs support because we've got the whole entire society that's telling you this is bad and wrong and unhealthy and mm-hmm. not, not, you know, against the way of nature and all these judgments. Yes. And so not only do you have to have a community that normalizes it, but you also need to learn some skills because people don't know what they don't know. And we just, we learn right. relationships from our parents. There's no classes in school, you know, to teach us how to relate. So we get yeah. into these relationships and we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. And relationships are the ultimate mirror. Like they are going to mm-hmm. trigger your attachment wounds, they are going to trigger your family dynamics from your childhood. Like that is what they do. And so Mm -hmm. the support to have layers of support is, is everything. Like, Mm -hmm. and I personally think both people should have their own support and then a support person Mm -hmm. together. Like that would be to me the way to do it because yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. No, I know, you know, in the circles that you and I hang out in, it's pretty ordinary to, you know, go therapy and do workshops and stuff. But, you know, I get couples from around the world that are like living in remote places where they don't have access to these healing communities. And they have such a stigma about asking for help. They don't want anyone to know. Mm-hmm. And it's really scary for them to admit that they need help. <laughs> So I love that we're just out there kind of rewriting that narrative that, no, everybody needs help. I don't care. Like, I, I've actually used to call myself the polyamorous coach's polyamorous coach because every time I would go to a festival, like a polyamory conference, I'd have one of the other lecturers or teachers or organizers ask me to hold space for their relationship. I kept being asked to do that. <laughs> and so it was because they, you know, they have a certain image that they want to project to the world, um, but mm-hmm. they're having messes too, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so and ev- we everybody, all, even everyone. Do. Mm-hmm. Everyone, definitely. And there's infinite layers for us to and grow into so we always need support and I think it's so important to normalize um, having support asking for help um, and not seeing that as as you being bad or wrong or not good enough it's like we cannot do this alone and we're not designed to like from the moment we're born ideally the first thing that should happen is that your mother should take you and hold you and place you on her chest and like form that Mm -hmm. skin contact and that co-regulation and that connection like we are bonding creatures like biologically and 
and I just deeply believe that we cannot do it alone and we shouldn't have to. Yes, and I've really noticed that since the pandemic when I've gone periods of time without very much touch and then when I have it again, I might feel mm-hmm. my whole nervous system go, oh, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, I mean, it doesn't mm-hmm. even matter who the person is. It's just like having another person in their skin and, oh, my gosh, it, it's, mm-hmm. I've learned that you really can't thrive without without it. It's just not possible. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to have to yeah. end it there. And I, uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It was every bit as wonderful as I hoped it would be. So I want to give you a mm-hmm. couple minutes to tell our listeners how to reach you and if there's anything you want to offer them. Yes, I really enjoyed this conversation, too. Thank you so much. And I would love um, to share that I have an upcoming course called All the Layers. It's all about the art of embodied relating and nervous system healing. And it starts August 3rd. It's a five-week live online course. And there's also pre-recorded content. There's like 75 videos of pre-recorded content where you get the lecture side of it. And the live calls are really all about the embodiment, the somatic practices. You'll have group practices like breakout rooms with partner practices where you really get to experience the felt sense of how to embody these tools in this work even more and bring it into your day-to-day life. And there's communication exercises, there's nervous system practices, there's um, attachment, inner child healing, embodied repair, needs, desires, boundaries. And this course is really just like allows you to really understand how to be in an attuned and coherent relational field with others and have a deeper understanding of your own trauma and your own nervous system. And so you can have more ease and connection and joy in your life. And so that starts August 3rd. It's um, called All the Layers. It's a five-week live online course. And I don't know if you can share a link or something, but... Um, the easiest way to find the link for it would be to go to my Instagram, which is at Anaya Sundara, which is A-N-A-I-A-S-U-N-D-A-R-A. And that's my Instagram and my Facebook are my main outlets of where I share all of my work. Um, and so you can follow me there. And Yeah. I'm also about to start a podcast, which I'm really excited about. It's going to be called All the Layers Great. as well. So, yeah. Awesome. And so for people who may listen to this recording later after your August course has our, are you going to run it again? We just have, we just have one more minute. Are you going to run it again yeah. later in the so year? Or? I will okay. run it again. This is the third round, and I'm going to keep doing it. This course is incredible. The people are having very profound experiences. I absolutely love sharing it, so I'm going to continue to do it. Okay, great. Okay, well, thank you so much. We, we have to end now, but I really love talking with you, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. I enjoyed being here with you. Okay, bye-bye. So next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, I will be speaking with Amy Delman. She is a therapist and an author, and she is going to share with us um, all kinds of stuff from her sex therapy. And she actually trains other sex therapists. So she's a teacher of mindfulness and meditation as well. So she'll be a really interesting guest. So please join us next week at 6 p.m. Pacific time on Leading Edge Love Radio. Good night, everyone. <laughs>